Bonanian. I just can't see the process of putting leaded fuel into an unleaded vehicle and the issues that that would create. So it makes no sense to me. But broke down on the side of the road, damn brakes locked up in the rain. Smoke's pouring out from under my hood, I'm stuck on the highway again. I got chop tops laying down, 49 Mercury Blue. Boy, the car doctor. I found some very good deals on eBay. For lots of good Delco part numbers and everything. Real Delco part numbers? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I tracked them all down and made sure I got the right thing. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls, answer your questions, solve your problems. Your problems are my problems. That's what the Car Doctor is all about and has been the past 28 plus years here on radio and uh, 43 years fixing cars out in the shop. So, um, I don't know. i got to decide what I want to be when I grow up. I don't know if this is really it, but we'll we'll do this for a little while longer anyway. More information about us at cardoctorshow.com. You know, all the good stuff and podcasting and uh, uh, other things and bits and pieces as well as uh, day-to-day. We sometimes put some day-to-day stuff up on uh, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, the Car Doctor Facebook page. So, um, that's it. That's what this show is all about. If you're new to us, hey, we're just here to fix your car. It's just that simple. That's all we want to do. No agenda. Uh, we're not here to send you anywhere or get you to do anything else. So just let's just fix the car. And let's do just that. Let's go over and talk to Sam in Arizona with an 03 Buick LeSabre and some questions about a fuel gauge that seems to be not working. Sam, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Hi, thanks. Yes, sir. Uh, fuel gauge, normally when I fill up, will show full, and it stays full until it barely gets emptied. And I replaced the fender and fuel pump with the Delphi like 10 years ago, and it came with uh, upgraded thicker wire, gauge wire, harness around the fuel pump to the wheel well. Okay. So I, re- I replaced that. And then a couple years later, the gauge started to do that. So I thought it was the center unit. I mean, it fixed that gauge problem. And a couple years later, I thought, oh, okay, the gauge is doing that again. I replaced the fuel center pump, and it didn't fix the problem. So I was wondering, could it be the motor behind the gauge and the dash? It could. It, what is it? It's it's stuck on high most of the time. Yeah, and I was thinking about just dis- disconnecting the the plug at the fuel pump to see what the gauge did. Well, that would be my that would be one thing to try. Does the gauge respond? That would be yeah. you know, and what that would tell me is that would tell me a couple of things. Number one, does the sending unit have authority over the gauge to command it to do different things? I believe it's going to stay stuck high though. Um, it's it's seeing it as an open and open high resistance will cause the gauge to go high. Um, what you could do is if you're handy electronically, um, you know a variable resistor across the two leads for the fuel pump sender. Once it's unplugged, the sender wires are going to be purple and black, uh-huh. and it would be it 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 should trace back. If you look at a wiring diagram, there should be a purple and a black back at that harness connector, verify that by wiring diagram, and if you were to put a resistance value across it, I could say the word potentiometer, but, uh, you know, variable resistor would be nice just to, oh, it's still working on variable resistance, Sam. Right. Um, you know, it, okay. it, it hasn't changed in 
you know, 75 years. Uh, it's either 0 to 75 or 0 to 90 ohms, depending upon manufacturer. And just changing resistance there somehow should get the gauge to fluctuate. Um, the last, How about a scan tool? Can yeah, you well, yeah, you could you could look tool? at this on a scan tool. That was my next thing I was going to suggest. Um, you might have to get into year, make, model. I don't know that you would see it on OBD2, but you should be able to bring up fuel level percentage in PCM data on year, make, model. And then, and then oh, what I would okay. tell you to do is rock the vehicle back and forth, uh, okay. you know, while you're watching it, and you should see, you know, as the fuel sloshes, you should see a change in that fuel level percentage. Uh, stupid question on my part: Have you scanned this at all for codes? Yeah, and there's no codes. There's no, there's no P zero four sixty three in this. Right, right. Okay. And the and, check engine light would be on for that one, right? Depends on your make model, but yes, by in, in oh. most cases it should. But the reason I ask is because, and it's interesting that it doesn't see that, all right? So if you were to hook up a scan tool and you could bring up fuel level percentage and oh. that fuel level percentage corresponded, I just heard the light go on in your head, you got it. Um, the, if the fuel level percentage corresponded to what you think is in the tank, if it says, you know, 50%, it's a half tank. If it says 75%, it's three-quarters of a tank. That right. means the PCM is seeing the proper signal. That means okay. the problem is not in the tank, not in the wiring. Up to the PCM, it's correct. That means right. the fault is somewhere between PCM, instrument panel cluster, and maybe the BCM and the instrument panel itself, so it might be the gauge itself. Okay, but I thought there was like a, one of those expensive scan tools where you could actually command the gauge. You might be able to. I believe you can do a sweep test. Um, okay. It, it, might be, it might take a dealer-level tool, dealer-level capability. Uh, General Motors okay. had a sweep test in their, in their scan tool, still do to this day, where you can sweep okay. it. Okay. But, you know, keep in mind, just as important, you know, what, what's that going to tell me? That's going to tell me that I can send out the signal, but if the gauge doesn't respond, I still don't know if it's the gauge, the cluster, the BCM, or the wiring in between. Right. Right? Okay. And, and I'm not right. saying you can't figure that out. I'm just saying if you've got the ability to read fuel level percentage and it's reading correctly, if it corresponds to what you think is in the tank, then uh -huh. we've got to make an assumption, dangerous word, that the PCM is seeing proper fuel level. So the problem uh -huh. is from PCM out going towards the cluster and not from the tank okay. unit like you're looking. Hey, can I ask you another question sure. about the car real quick? Two for nickel. HUD. Go ahead. Uh, the the heads-up display, it's really cool. I like it. It works during the night, but it, during the day it's so dim I can't see it. Is that an... Is that just an LED, or could that be a solder issue in the circuitry of that? How, have, have you ever, you know, to my knowledge, the HU, from what I remember, the heads-up displays used to be bright enough that they would work in the daytime. Yeah, no, it did originally. I'm the original owner. Okay. It just, it's just getting faint, lower and lower during the day. Yeah, then I would say, I would say that um, whether it's LEDs or something on the board itself that's electronically wearing out, now... Now you make me more curious because now I've got two problems or two potential problems in the same area, right? You yeah. Know, I've, I've got a gas gauge not responding, and I've got a heads-up display that's giving me an issue. Oh, but the, the gas gauge, when it gets towards, like, almost empty, the right. gas gauge, like, goes right to empty almost. Right. I understand that part. But, yeah. but okay. you know, listen, 
you're trying to fix the problem, right? Right. I'm trying to yeah. break it out, and, and, and I'm not saying you're not diagnosing it, Sam, but I'm trying to break yeah. it out. You're trying to look ahead. Um, you're, you're doing what I used to do, all right? You're, you're, you're so excited to fix the problem, you're looking at, I'm looking at how do I get there, all right? Okay. And, and that's why I say looking at fuel level percentage will tell me so much that I know I don't have to worry about the back of the car anymore. Where did our conversation start, brother, right? We were talking about you were looking at the sending unit and thinking about that. I'm, right. I'm I'm trying to tell you, hey, listen, let's let's diagnose something. Let's let's unplug that, or let's leave it connected. Look at fuel level percentage, and if it proves to be what I said, then I know it's not the PCM, or I know it's it's good up to the PCM. Then I'm going to come to the left, and um, you know, then at that point, maybe I do have a cluster issue. So okay. um, let's diagnose it Thank that you. way. All right, sir. Good luck to you. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. Um, yeah, because listen, it's it's deductive reasoning. All right, if P0463, if this vehicle has the capability of setting a P0463, which is erratic or um, incorrect fuel level sender, if it changes too fast to be real, the PCM assumes that there's a problem in the sending unit and it'll set that fault code. If it's not sending that fault code, which is interesting, um, then the PCM is likely seeing a gradual change of state of the fuel level in the tank. If that's the case, then the, 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 the sender... The wiring in between up to the PCM are good. It's from the PCM out as the PCM commands the IPC, the instrument panel cluster. And I think the BCM is going to have some authority in this as well, um, that it's going to, uh, that's going to be an issue too. So anyway, um, let's pull over, take a pause. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. What's more fun than listening to Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor and getting that car fixed right? 855-560-9900. Give Ron a call. Now, back to Ron. Let's get over and talk to Patel in Indiana. Patel, welcome back to the Car Doctor, brother. How are you today? Hey, Ron. How are you doing? Good. What's going on? Not too bad. I have this 12 Honda Accord with 118,000 miles on it. Okay. And uh, I know Honda is very religious about the fluid and the intervals, 30 miles, uh, 30,000 miles. And my sister is just driving it. So she never did those uh, intervals. Now, I was trying to help her out and do it for her. And I was wondering, I know double drain and fill sounds better, but how do I do it? Like, do I just drain it? and fill it and drive it until the, the operating temperature comes on or just uh, start the car, shift all the gears, and just drain it again. Which, what which, you suggest. which fluid, Patel? Transfluid? Transmission fluid, yes. Sir. Okay. So how many? And, uh, the car has 118,000 on it? Yes, sir. And it's never been done? Never been done. All right. So how, how beat up or ugly is the fluid? Is it black? Is it the red? The fluid is, is it... pretty, pretty pink, actually, like almost yeah. new. Okay, then, you know, let's do a drain and fill. Let's just do a one-time drain and fill up to operating temperature, and um, let's do a straight drain and fill. Not really a big deal. And then if you want to come back in 5,000 miles and drop it again because there's going to be some in the converter and other places of the transit you can't get to, I, I get right. that. But, you know, short term, I think you're just going to be wasting fluid. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you need to do it that quickly. Uh, you know, it doesn't – there's no real benefit to it. And – Keep in mind, automatic transmission fluid is a very high detergent fluid by nature, right. by design. So, you know, 5,000 miles, 8,000 miles, 10,000 miles at the outside, you want to wait a little bit and then change it again. It's not the worst idea. I, 
I would go along with that. And, you know, obviously make sure you're using Honda-approved transmission fluid, correct? Yeah, I hate the dealership and got the original one because right. I've been told many sources that the Honda doesn't like anything else but the Honda. Well, the only other thing other than quote-unquote Honda is the stuff from Idemetsu, which okay. is, if you look at the Idemetsu bottle, if you look at the Honda bottle, it's got the, I believe it's got the Idemetsu part number on it. Okay. Uh, you know, it's that, it's it's that, I think it's the same stuff. Yeah, okay. I, I really think it's the same stuff. I just think they're, they're uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're just marketing it under the Honda label because Honda clearly doesn't make their own transmission fluid. They just market it out to somebody. But Idumetsu, I think it's I-D-E-M-I-T-S-U, Idumetsu, I believe it's the way it's spelled, something close to that. Um, they make a lot of the aftermarket trans fluids now that we've had a lot of great success with. Uh, in the shop, and um, you know, the only the only thing I don't like about their fluid is some of the bottles all look alike. You have to read very carefully to see which one you're. Right. You know. Um, uh, I but, have a one of the question within yeah. the same uh, category. Now, other side, I have my 12 uh, Sienna, which has a WS Toyota fluid. Right. And of course, Honda makes it easier to do it. Like you just simply crack open the three eighths bolt and drain it and fill it up with the with the distake hole. Right. But uh, other side, the CNA, of course, they they want you to bring it to the dealership, and uh, they will do it with that magical unit, you know. Right, the magic so, unit. Yeah, I know that magic unit. With um, the air pressure, you know, with the tube goes underneath, and the, right. I've seen the video, and it's just like a rocket science mm -hmm. kind of video. But uh, to do that service home, uh, is that still doable? Like it's doable. You're gonna. Break? There's no dipstick on that Sienna, correct? Right, it's just a six, I think, millimeter hex bolt, and the tubes comes out. Right, and so it it's about two quarters and two quarts and change. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to get a lot of fluid out of that. It's it's between two and three quarts, and frankly, the only other thing you could do in addition is if you wanted to drop the pan. There's how many miles on the Sienna? About seventy-five. It wouldn't be the worst idea to drop the pan once. There's a brass screen in there, so there there isn't there. There generally, I uh, let me think about this a second. Maybe on one Toyota product that generation, I'm trying to think of which one it was. I found a filter that was not brass, not a metal mesh. But regardless, it, it's it's not the worst idea once in the life of the unit. You know, so you're halfway to what I consider the life of the unit, 150. Uh, to drop the pan and, and clean out the pan and change the filter. You'll get a little bit more fluid out of it, not much. And then fill it through. You've got to take, there's a drain plug on the side. There's a fill plug or the top-up plug that it's got to go in. And, uh, you know, you're going to add it to that until it drips out. Just follow the procedure. It's, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, they will talk about in the procedure how they want it at a specific temperature by scan tool. You can do it that way. To be honest with you, I generally put my hand on the radiator hose in the top of the trans unit. I just feel the temperature. I go, yeah, that's 160, 180, whatever. And, um, you know, I feel it that way. It's not that uh, that critical in my experience. And if anything, you know, I mean, they've got it down to where some of these manufacturers, they want us to count drips per second to decide how much fluid is in the trans. Uh, you know, to leave a little bit more in isn't the worst idea. Not Not guggling out, but just a little bit more. Because trans fluid is so lightweight, trans fluid will evaporate over time. It's uh, and it's getting. It seems like it's getting a thinner viscosity all the time um, as we move right. forward. So, but um, yeah, that's sure. how I would do it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You're very Thank welcome, you Patel. Good to hear from you. I hope things are good on your end. Um, I'm going to make him into a mechanic. 
when I establish a, a branch in, in, in Illinois or Indiana, I think he's in Illinois, that's going to be like the Car Doctor West. Indiana, um, we're going to establish the Car Doctor West, all right, and Patel's going to manage the place. So, um, yeah. hey, listen, he's a smart guy. Listen to the way he talks, right? You can tell that, and, you know, that's the problem in auto mechanics, that a lot of people won't read the procedure. I love to go see my friend Tim, okay? I love telling Tim stories here on air up at uh, the local Nissan dealer because I go in and I see Tim and I always, I, I not always, but I usually show up in street clothes. So I look like this old man walking in, doo, 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 you know, and I'm talking to Tim like, and I love to watch the oil change kids because they're there on their phones and they're waiting for the next oil change to show up because God forbid they would ever hang around Tim, the, the, the master mechanic, the, what is he doing and how is he doing it and, you know. And they look at you like, oh, look at this old guy. Look at this intruder kind of a thing. You know, they just have no clue. You know, it's not not that I'm the be all and end all. But, you know, I, I've been around the block a couple of times. I, I get it. I know what we got to do here. So um, just they don't read procedure and they don't. And Tim tells me those stories all the time about the things they do wrong. Hey, Ron, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about Ford F-150s. I started researching the later model years and ran across the EPA's steering issues. Have you repaired any of these. I have not to date. This comes to us from Chris. I understand why you suggested looking at 2008 less technology to go wrong. For the 2008, which motor would you recommend is most reliable and easiest to work with, the 4.6 or the 5.4? Well, I wouldn't because I think I was talking about buying 2008 Chevy Silverados because I thought that engine was better. Uh, the problem with the older Fords that I see, I typically see valve train issues with, with, with both of those, the 4.6 and the 5.4. And it, it'll really come down to how well is the oil change done. Not that GM's impervious. That'll come down to how well is the oil change done, too. So, you know, what you got to understand, Chris, is you, you're talking about whatever you buy, Ford or Chevy, it's 11 years old. It's going to have issues. And you need to account for some of that in your, in, in your budget money for purchasing the car. Um, if I had to pick a choice between the 4.6 or the 5.4, I'd take the 5.4 because... You know, in cars, bigger is better. So um, I would make it work like that. I'm Ron and Annie, The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, The Car Doctor. Let's get on over and talk to... Let's go to Lou in Connecticut, 16 Lexus. See what's going on here. Hey, Lou, welcome to the car doctor. How are you? Hey, Ron. How, how you doing? Good, sir. What's cooking? I have a, a, a 2016 Lexus 450H Sport. Nice car. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I did buy it used. It has 45,000 miles on it. Okay. I was wondering what your opinion would be as far as rust proofing or undercoating. Yeah. Um, I did talk to the Connecticut Lexus dealer, and they don't even do the, those procedures anymore, and they recommended not getting it done. I just was wondering what you thought. And I kind of lean towards them, and I'll tell you why. The there's a lot of electronics on that car. Yes. And there's yep. a lot of there's 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 a lot of electronics underneath it. You know, you're only seeing yes, half the car from the top. Yes, I was concerned about the, yeah. hy the hybrid system. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you know, unless the undercoating was applied exactly correct, and I, I've got to tell you, I've been fixing cars since I was, and I've been doing it that long. And, you know, in, in, in my lengthy career, I think I've seen undercoating done correctly twice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. where the person actually took the time and, you know, yeah. nice and neat in the corners, tucked it in. And so, 
Um, So that's on the list. The the other thing I always think about is, and I always ask people, so who's changing the oil on this, Lou? Is the dealer going to change the oil on this? Are you going to build a relationship with one guy, or is it going to be a quick lube thing? Um, I've actually done twice. I've been using a dealer or or a local shop. I've done it twice, yes. Because my feeling is we'll do it, all right, not to tout what we do. I try never to talk about what we specifically do. That's not what I'm here for. Um, But we'll do it in the shop where, you know, we have a regular customer. We'll see it, and, you know, gee, this is starting to rust a little, Lou, and, gee, this is starting to get a little rot on it. We'll do one of a few things. We'll either hit it with a little zero-rust paint, kind of nip it in the bud, We'll hit it with a little Gibbs. Remember Gibbs? We always talk about Gibbs all the time. Um, uh, We we hit it with a little Gibbs, try and soak it in and and, and stop it. Um, And sometimes, depending on the vehicle, if it's going to really be out in really crummy weather, we'll fluid film the chassis. Fluid film is a spray that we use on all the plow vehicles. I've started using it on some of the, you know, civilian cars, if you will, that prevents salt and corrosion from getting started. So my point becomes, if, if a regular guy is keeping track of it, you know, they're going to tell okay. you, hey, we see this, we see that. Yeah. And last, I always think about, and a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I've got to tell you, I have been taking my vehicles through a car wash since yes. 30 years now. And, yeah. I, and I try to do it right after, the, right after the wash. And, you know, the one concern I have is sometimes the car washes just recycle the water. In a lot of cases, they recycle the water. It depends on the level of quality of the car wash. I don't use... Um, oh, the ones where you drive in. It used to be a gas station, and you <laughs> you drive in the front, right. and you go out the yeah. back, and they just have yeah. that. I want the full lane, you know, experience yeah. where they wash under the car, top of the car, dry everything, yeah. and and you know what? I knock wood. I really don't have rust issues, and I'm one state over from you. So right, uh, yeah, they use, they use the harsh chemicals for pre-treating over here in Connecticut, right. and that's yeah. why I'm concerned yeah. about. And they're starting. They're starting to do that. Yes. Yeah, they're starting to do that here in Jersey too. Yes. Uh, you know, so that's it's it's an issue too. Which listen, that's a whole conversation unto itself. I was yes. I was coming home from class the other night. Now I know it's dark out, and I know it's ten o'clock at night, and I know we're all tired. There was someone in front of me in uh, um, a fairly late model four fifty Benz, um, all wheel drive, and you know here's a vehicle with all wheel drive, probably got crash avoidance, you know, traction control, everything, safety device under the sun. We're doing 15 miles on the on ramp to the Garden State Parkway. Really? Like, yeah. And the road yeah. is dry. So yeah. I, I said to myself, what's going to happen when it snows? Uh, right. You know, and we've got to pre treat the roads, as you said. And now right. it's to the point where I think we're putting so much chemical on the road. That's what ruins half the cars. It, it, it's, you've got to stay on top of it and do all the things that I just described to you. I think that's what helps increase longevity of the vehicle. Yes, so. I, I've seen news reports on local stations in Connecticut where local shops, the, the mechanics are talking about the chemicals are used are really harsh right. as far as underneath the car itself. Well, and, you know, yeah. t- the other problem that those chemicals produce, think of the yeah. poor mechanic working on the car. Yes, he's, of course. He's now exposed yeah. to that chemical. Uh, you know, right. people people sometimes laugh at us because we wear gloves in the shop. And I, you know, listen, we're not prima right. donnas. I just like living. You know, I right. find I find breathing at this stage in my life gets to be a very popular, you know, pastime. So, um, uh, you know, so, but that's that's how uh, I would rust, treat it. Rust proofing and undercoating it. It's actually two different procedures. Well, undercoating to me is the spraying on of an applique that it, it's a barrier. 
Okay. Um, rust proofing is just a thought process of, you know, what else can I do besides spraying something on? To me, when okay. I use fluid film, that's rust proofing. To me, when I wash the car and I wash the undercarriage, that's rust proofing. To me, when I, listen, when I, I just, last year, I, I don't know if you heard the show, but I purchased a 2019 Chevy Silverado, and before I even put it on the road, uh, I spent the better part of three weeks painting everything. I used Benjamin Moore Low Luster Alkalide uh, Rust-Oleum paint. I put it in the spray gun. I cut it a little bit, and I sprayed everything, the chassis, the floor pan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, it's and, – and that stuff, to me, is, is gospel. That and wash the truck, and I bet you I don't have a rust issue. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I plan on keeping the car for a long time. I had a had a 2003 Lexus. I had 230,000 miles, and yeah. then somebody hit me, and it got totaled because of the age and the mileage. Right. But once you own a Lexus, you just it's just something. I just love the car itself, and I plan to keep this at least 200,000 miles, and that's why I'm trying to get everything. Uh, you know, you where, know keep it for long term. Right. Yeah. And, and and keep in mind too. Um, one of the nice things about Lexus, because some of the car companies aren't so kind, where after seven, eight years, parts, some parts are no longer available. Uh, you know, keep in mind that Lexus tends to. We had a customer with an '83 Lexus something. I forget what it was. Maybe it was an ES350. And up till about two years ago, we were able to get. I mean, just about everything we needed. Right. Which wow. I was done, 82, 92, a car is almost 30 years old. car was 30 wow. years old, 30, 35 years old. You can still get everything. So that's Lexus, pretty amazing for these days, yes. Yeah, that's, you know, because that's going to be the problem. As the electronics proliferate even more and the cars get more and more on them, it's, you know, are we going to be able to get specific modules and, and, and components? It's one of the things I say about all the modern-day hot rods. Everybody loves their modern-day Mustang and Camaro and Corvette and Challenger, and they're great. I love looking at the, the reincarnations of muscle cars from years gone by, but I just want to know, you know, in, in 15 years, are we going to be able to get powertrain control modules? Are we going to be able to get instrument clusters repaired? It's it's It's... You know, to me, it's like trying to support or find support for a Windows machine running Windows 98 or a DOS-based program. It's just, it's impossible right. now. It's, yeah. um, you okay. know, so the electronics are going to be our undoing to a degree. Yeah. So, all okay. right, sir? All right, it's something that to give thought about because I was actually going to call, uh, you know, the national, I don't know if I can say the name or not, sure. the national people, the Z-Bart. Yeah to see what they had to say or you know i did buy it used i don't know if they would do a used vehicle actually or you know i'm not sure but right i'll just call it to see what your opinion was yeah i would and keep in mind the things i suggested fluid film and, and spray yes. paint and so forth yeah those materials generally don't impede the repair right. of the car Right. They don't get on brake right. lines. They don't get on brake components. They don't get right. in the way that for the mechanic working on it, he can still take it apart. And, right. you know, that goes a long way to holding down your costs, too, as the right. car gets older. All right, okay. sir? All right. Thanks, sir. Thanks a lot. Your, your show is very important. It's good to talk to you, Ron. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate you being there, and uh, you have yourself a good rest of the afternoon. You take good care. 855-560-9900. Mikey, a fan. Look at that. Now I got two. I'm Ron and Andy, the car doctor. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car doctor here. Let's go on over and talk to Bob in Wisconsin. Bob, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Well, I have a 2002 Taurus, and uh, I can drive it basically all day. can turn it off, 
and go out to try to use it again, it'll start, I'll go about 50 feet, and then it starts to chugging like it's losing power or gas or whatever. Okay. And I can leave it sit for about two, three hours and go out and it'll start right up. Okay. Anybody try any diagnosis here? Not yet. It goes in Monday. All right. Can they duplicate it? Is this a repeatable problem? It happened to me two days in a row, but it doesn't occur. If I drive it, it, it won't occur the next time I start it. it. I can drive it and start it and run it, and then uh, maybe an hour or so later go out and get in the car and start it. It'll run, and then it'll just start to cut off. And when I go to restart it, it sounds like and feels like it wants to start, but just won't start. It won't fire. So, and how many yep. miles, about how many miles are on this O2, O2 uh, Taurus 77,000. Okay. 77,000. So, the biggest problem here is catching it in the act. That's going to be the headache, right? Can we can we duplicate it? Is it repeatable? And one of the yeah, first things, you know, the they're, problem. they're, yeah, they're, they're likely going to, you know, start at the beginning, scan it for codes, do a visual, road test it. Things like that. I would, if, it, if, if I was working on this, one of the first things I would do is hook up a fuel pressure gauge and strap it across the windshield. And every time I took it out on a road test, I'd want to know where fuel pressure is. Now, in, in O2, there should be a fuel pressure PID, piece of information, piece of data, parameter identification on the scan tool that I could watch. But when I'm looking at a broken car, I've been burned too many times that the actual thing that was broken was the fuel pressure uh, sensor in this case, telling the computer the wrong fuel pressure is what makes the car stall in the second place, which is why I, at some point I like to look at mechanical pressure to, to verify it and on a consistent basis. So, you know, I would be watching fuel pressure. I'd be thinking about fuel pressure. It's a little older or later on in the model year, for it to be the problem, but I some of the earlier ones, the 99s, the, the 2000s, the 01s, they had some issues with the wiring harness leading up to the mass airflow sensor um, over there on the driver's side coming from the air intake duct. They could, you know, obviously take a look at that, wiggle, jiggle, poke the harness, see what they can repeat there. Uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt to just look at the mass airflow sensor. Are there any leaves, any contaminant? Just do a visual. And then, you know, mm -hmm. the last thing, looking for an intermittent on something like this, I would be verifying all of the grounds, all right? I would get out a, a power and ground distribution wiring diagram and look up all the grounds for the vehicle, making sure they're all good, clean, tight, make sure they're all there, you know, make sure some animal hasn't chewed up part of the harness that I can't visually see. And then let's duplicate the problem. What's it losing? You know, my my bet is this is going to be yeah. this is going to be more fuel than anything else, and one of the last things or one of the nice things about hooking up a fuel pressure gauge, which is another reason why I do it rather than count on the the scan tool from the broken car, uh, scan data from the broken car, is if I hook up a fuel pressure gauge, I can take a fuel sample reading, and just you know, mm -hmm. and and I know you say that the car runs good for, you know, X number of hours, and then you park it and it acts up. We've had a couple of cars in the last two years that you never in your life would have thought it was going to be a fuel condition. 
in, in terms of causing the failure, but it was. And both cars I pulled this gelatinous, I don't know, part of it looked like gas, part of it looked like something from that 1950s movie, The Blob. It was just crazy-looking stuff. And, um, you know, they they all ran differently. Some would run for a couple of hours. Some wouldn't start and get out of their own way in the driveway. So I always like to take a fuel sample and, you know, just to just to kind of tell me what have I got. Um, you know, I never, I, I never let the gas gauge get below half a tank. Okay. That's all right. Because, so it's basic. well, I was going to say, even though, you know, you don't do that, the fuel is sloshing around in the tank. And, you know, if there's something in there, you know, it could slosh, get picked up on the, on the wrong, on the bottom side of the tube when you least expect it. So remember this, and I've been saying this a lot lately, so it's got to be the universe telling me this, that, you know, in diagnosis, sometimes you're not diagnosing for what's bad. You're diagnosing for what's good, and that gets you to the bad that much quicker. Take it in Monday. Call me back next week. Let me know what fixed it. 855-560-9900. Thanks for calling in, Bob. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'm sorry. I just took Mikey off his chair. I... I played a practical joke on him. I shined a flashlight in one ear, and I hit the small one in my right hand, and I opened it up, and he thought the light was shining out between my ears. Show you what, show you what I got going on upstairs. Hey, a quick Car Doctor shout-out. Look at this out on the Car Doctor Facebook page. Uh, 1490 AM in Eunice, Louisiana. is uh, you know We're on the air down there, and they're just making an announcement about it. Hey, the Car Doctor's on right now. 1490 AM, Eunice, Louisiana. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And uh, just below it, win a pair of tickets to the Coastal Virginia Auto Show. That's right. I should read that, shouldn't I? I should... A little bit of housekeeping here. Um, coming up November 16th. Hey, you know, that's like a month from now. The car doctor is going to be on the road live. They're sending me out by myself, folks. Tom and Mikey are staying here, and uh, they'll be running home base, and uh, I'll be out there doing this show live remote from the Virginia Beach Convention Center. Expected attendance up to 8,000 people, and uh, probably two or three to come see the car doctor at least, right? And uh, all kinds of hot rods, of customs, classics, antiques, motorcycles, tractors. Antique tractors are really cool, right? You know, um, just all sorts of stuff. Even older bicycles will be on display at this indoor show. That's going to be going on Saturday, Sunday. And I think there's something going on the Friday before, but don't hold me to that. Um, although the car doctor will be flying in on Friday. I think they're bringing me in. So uh, we'll be out to dinner somewhere. Maybe we'll see everybody. And uh, looking forward to it. It ought to be a really great time. And that is being put on by um, AM790, WNIS, down there in the Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia Beach area. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, good times, good stuff. Uh, so just, just can't wait. Um, remind me next week, I'll tell you the story about Jesus's water. Uh, cause I know Mikey asked me about that. We we're talking about recycling and what that all is about. And I need a TV show. So think about what I could do on television, how great that would be. Uh, you'd actually see the face made for radio. Hey, I'm Ron Anany of The Car Doctor looking up saying it's time to go, and I want to thank you for stopping by this hour as always. I enjoyed spending the time with you. I hope you did too. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.